0: Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship accessible, sharing down-to-earth training advice and practical exercises with horsemen dedicated to accomplishing their goals. Whether you're hitting the trails for fun, training a project horse at home, or refining maneuvers for reining or cowhorse competition, we'll help you take your horsemanship to the next level. Thank you for joining us.
1: Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. I'm Jake Lundell. I'm joined here with my brother Luke. Today's episode is sponsored by Drinking Post Waterers. We'll have more on that later, but first, we've got a lot of subjects to dive into. I've just gotten back from a couple weeks on the road. The main reason for my trip was the lesson and a three-day clinic I did up in the Syracuse, New York area, and it was quite a successful clinic. We had a nice little group there, very different group of horse owners. We had some people that had some cow horse interest and knowledge and their horses were more geared toward the cutting and cow horse uh, as far as breeding and talent wise. We had a couple gated horses in the clinic and a couple just regular quarter horses like rope type horses. So it was a it was a little bit of a diverse group. And we accomplished quite a lot during those 3 days, but especially the first day, we focused on hammering out a lot of the just the fundamental core exercises, the essentials on the ground and under saddle. And one particular horse in that clinic that was, I would say, the greenest horse there and the one that needed the most attention, I I focused a lot of my time on working with this horse. I had an assistant with me that was able to help keep the clinic moving as I gave this particular horse some special attention in different areas. And of course, as as we were moving through the three days and this horse was improving and we were working through a lot of the issues that it brought to the table, it made me think of a horse that you, Luke, have had in training for a while here back in Nebraska, and just the contrast between these different horses and how we've been riding them and working through some of their issues. One thing that I've really wanted to discuss on the podcast for a while because this has come up with multiple people that have either participated in clinics or have seen us ride or whatever. You're always going to get criticism from somewhere. And one of the things that has been laid at our feet is people will say, well, I listen to some of your guys' content or I see you ride. And especially with the young horses, you guys are so methodical. You take your time, you introduce things in a way that is really easy for the horse to understand. And you seem to have a very tolerant and kind of a low key disposition when you're working with these horses. But then I see you ride other horses and, uh, you know, to them, we're being too aggressive or it's a little bit of a shock to see us really getting after a horse or taking that horse to task when just a few minutes ago, they saw us riding a two-year-old and we were being real friendly with that horse. And these two horses that I'm thinking of, the clinic horse and the one that you've had in training, Luke, are polar opposites in the way that we've had to approach their various problems. And I thought it would be a good subject to bring to the podcast and draw a contrast between how we've been riding those two different horses to make the point that, yes, when appropriate, we're all about being methodical, taking our time, kind of tiptoeing through different concepts and babying the horse in a way. But there's also other instances where you have to up the intensity and take that pressure to a whole new level in order to break through the resistance you're facing. Knowing when to do either one, well, that's the definition of just feel and timing and being a horseman, right? Is knowing when to make those calls. So let's just get into my experience with this clinic horse. We're going to talk about these two horses in turn, and then we're going to talk more in later on in the episode about some of our thoughts regarding full weanling and yearling training. Because a question that we often get from a lot of people who've been working with their young horses that are not ready yet to start under saddle is, guys, I've hit a wall. I I don't know what to do with my horse anymore. I've done so much groundwork and so much desensitizing. I've run out of things to do. And this horse is just a yearling yet. What do I need to do here? We're both bored to tears and I can't think of anything new to teach my horse. So we're going to present our thoughts on... When you can go too far with kind of overloading the mind of a young horse and, and when you aren't going far enough and the people that do no imprinting or no training whatsoever and where we can maybe find a balance there when we're talking about full weanling and yearling training, but getting back to the horse that I brought up that I worked with at the clinic. So just to set the context, this horse was a gated horse that it had very little prior training. It had been started under saddle, but my uh, estimation and, and from talking with the owner, it hadn't had a lot of consistency. And they had bought this horse. It was still extremely green. And they came to this clinic, and the horse immediately presented a lot of problems. The first impression that struck me upon this horse entering the arena is its fundamental rejection of any pressure on its face. Already just putting a little bit of pressure on it, not even trying to flex its nose all the way around, but just touching its face. This horse was flipping its head upside down, slinging its head around wildly, threatening to rear, not really rearing, but going beyond just a basic threat and head tossing, like kind of popping its front end up off of the ground and just being completely cantankerous and full of beans and just really, you know, out of control. And I could tell that this horse was not only pretty uneducated, but that it had already developed a lot of bad habits around just the evasion of pressure, mainly on its face, right? So my immediate priority when I took the horse over from the owner to kind of use it as a demo horse and also to try to bring it up to speed with the rest of the class, uh, the horses that had a lot better handling, you know, obviously we needed to get control of this horse and start correcting this situation from the beginning of day one. So my initial goal was, let's work through some stuff and let's try to provoke this issue and deal with it on the ground. That's a a common theme across a lot of our content and, and no matter what context, if you're looking at a major fight under saddle, your first thought should be, how can I maybe accomplish a lot of, or at least part of my goal on the ground where I'm safer, it's in a more controlled environment, and we can work through a lot of this resistance before I put myself on the horse's back. So the groundwork and teaching flexing on the ground became an immediate priority. But what I noticed was that on the ground, even being a little bit unfair to the horse, meaning purposely trying to be a little bit aggressive in the way that I flexed him and just kind of handled him on the ground, I wasn't able to really provoke the issue. I would have rather, rather than sitting on his back and trying to flex him as he's rearing up into the air... I would have rather provoked some of that resistance on the ground and had a chance to work through it on the ground those of you that li- have listened to the podcast remember the episode and then the extra that luke uh, was talking about that denali horse and and her issues with respect to handling pressure and wanting to rear and all that stuff and how once that was provoked he took that battle to the ground where you have more of a home field advantage, you're able to be a little bit smarter in how you now work through that bind and teach the horse something without putting either of you in a really harmful situation. That was my goal with this horse, but I wasn't really able to accomplish what I wanted on the ground, and it became clear that it's one of those horses that will handle a certain way on the ground, but there's a there's a lot of contrast between how they operate on the ground versus when you're on their back. And you work with enough horses, you see that. You see some that are very dull, quiet, and lazy on the ground. You get on their back and suddenly they feel a lot more sensitive and reactive. You know, some horses are that way. Some are identical in the way that they behave both on the ground and under saddle. And there's all kinds of variance. This was a horse that had a lot of contrast. It had a, it had decent ground manners and it was flexing well on the ground, but you get on its back, totally different story. So, This horse being as green and uneducated as it was, it didn't have a lot of body control. I couldn't immediately just get on this thing and start bending it around and yielding its hindquarters and all that stuff. It had fundamentally very little control there, and it absolutely did not know how to flex laterally under saddle. So my immediate priority was, let's just teach this thing to flex at a standstill. But the way I had to go about that was very almost babying in a way, extremely methodical, very tolerant of all of this horse's bad behavior and resistance and reactiveness and everything that was throwing at me. I had to be like a soft punching bag and just kind of move with it, let the horse take shots at me, let him get away with some things and just kind of baby and coax it along. A very good example of how I was doing that when teaching flexing was, for example, being really methodical with the way that I slide my hand down the rein. And as soon as contact was made on that bit, as soon as I made contact with that horse's face, he would immediately, as like an instinctive reactive habit, throw his head up and violently toss his head around, what we call turning their head upside down, right? Which is not only just a rejection of what you're doing, but this is a horse that really understands the way that he needs to maneuver his head in order to take leverage away from the rider. He was very good at that, and this was already a deeply ingrained habit. But he was also so green that he was a little bit rattled mentally by that pressure at the same time. So just everything in his brain is saying, evade, evade, get out of here. And that led into the next thing, which was kind of semi-rearing up in the air when you go to touch this horse's face. So not only was I being really methodical with trying to establish contact, but I set my expectations for beginning that flexing incredibly low, like below ground level. I wasn't even looking for that horse to even tip his nose or just give me a little bit of slack in the rein. I was looking to just establish contact and not have the horse be rearing or trying to tear his head away from me and turn it upside down and run off. I literally set my starting point at, can I slide my hand down the rein, taking about two seconds to complete that, so being very smooth and methodical, letting that horse understand that I'm coming, and can I, once my hand is slid down, establish contact on your face, and maybe just tip your nose just ever so slightly, but mainly just establish contact with your mouth, and have you not try to rear up or toss your head around, can I do that? right? So I had my timing had to be very good in the sense that I'm sliding my hand down. And when that horse goes to do whatever silly thing it's going to do to try to take my leverage away and evade that pressure and effectively try to intimidate me to, to try to stop doing what I was doing, putting pressure on its face, I had to be very relaxed and kind of have a lot of elasticity in my arm and in my hand to where, you know, this horse was ripping his head around. If I was just going to try to establish contact on the left side of his face, slide my hand down the left rein, he would violently rip his head all the way around to my right toe and toss it around, you know, vertically and do whatever other maneuvers he wanted to do. And so I can't, I can't have my hand be rock solid to where he goes to take that nose away from me and boom, he hits a brick wall that would have immediately sent this horse up and over. I can't jerk on his face because that's just going to rattle him more and provoke more of this outrageous reactive behavior that he's going through. But I can't release the pressure either when he's doing that. And that was the mistake that the previous rider had been making was this horse would violently sling his head around and threaten to rear. And the the rider would just kind of stop doing what he was doing. And so the horse was being rewarded for that time and again, and it was an ingrained habit now. So what I have to do is treat my arm almost like a rubber band in the sense of no matter where that horse takes his nose, I'm trying to stay with him and maintain that amount of pressure but not increase it or release. So if I slide my hand down real methodical and establish, let's just say, a quarter pound of pressure on his mouth, no matter where he takes his head or what he does with his feet, I'm trying to maintain that quarter pound of pressure on his face and and not allow him to artificially increase it by jerking his head around. And I set my hand against him and and he hits it. He hits a solid rein, but I also can't release either. So I really had to be feather light almost and very spongy with my own hands to just stay with this horse until I could find something to release to, meaning he stopped moving his feet and he accepted that contact, even tipped his nose that, that same direction a little bit without completely flipping out and going overboard. With enough repetition throughout that first day of the clinic, I went from sliding my hand down and barely being able to touch his face to being able to flex him all the way around. But what I did was I found a starting point, just established that this horse could accept some contact on his face, and then using steady pressure, I just gradually kept coaxing him around toward my toe further and further and established, you know, to where I can slide my hand down and tip your nose. Well, now we're flexing to 90 degrees. Now we're, you know, with enough repetition, I kind of brought him around a little bit and just got him relaxed and accepting a little bit of being handled, okay? Which is the point of flexing anyway. It's not just to get the horse soft. That is the horse's first taste of really being handled in that way. And you're teaching submissiveness. You're teaching soft, submissive mental habits, what we call... Getting a horse mentally soft, that's where it all starts. So I really had to feather and baby and coax this horse to just get the flexing established. But with enough repetition, he was starting to come around. However, any new exercise that I taught during that clinic, those habits and that resistance that was so deeply ingrained were going to come out again and again. We teach a new exercise like yield the hindquarters. What is he audible to? immediately tossing his head around, trying to run off, doing those same behaviors that he was doing when I was trying to establish flexing or the bending exercise, right? Any suppling exercise, impulsion wasn't as bad. He was, he had no idea of how to just move out on a loose rein and be, and be relaxed, but I wasn't really touching his face when we were doing, say the cruising lesson and things like that. So that wasn't as much of an issue with the impulsion. But with any of the suppling exercises, any new one that I taught, he would immediately fall back on his old reactive habits, slinging his head around, trying to take my leverage away, trying to evade pressure, threatening to rear. And each time I was having to do that same program of being really easy with him, being very methodical, because, and here's the reason why I had to do that. This horse was so green, bad habits aside, he was just fundamentally uneducated he had no concept for any of this stuff, not the flexing, not the bending, not yield the hindquarters. Uh, when we got on further into the clinic with the backing, he had not been backed under saddle before. He not only had no idea of how to handle pressure, he had no concept of any of these suppling and body control exercises. So every time I introduced a new one, it was a completely new thing to him. It was a whole new world, right? So I really had to take my time And almost in a way, ignore. Obviously, that's not exactly what I mean, but I'm kind of tolerating a lot of his behavior and head tossing and everything else because I have a a bigger goal in mind. And I was more focused during those exercises, not so much that he was feeling super soft to my hands, but I was more trying to find areas that I could release to where he was just accepting what was going on and just at least accepting The start of being put in that bind. Not so much that he's yielding his hindquarters with a lot of, you know, with, with hustle and he's perfectly doing a 360 while he's keeping his front end completely still and his head is resting neatly and relaxed on my toe. No, but can I at least just get you to disengage a step? Okay. And have it be somewhat relaxed and controlled and somewhat resembling the ideal of this exercise very low expectations, very methodical, taking it very slow and easy and breaking, like breaking the exercise down. It's already a step-by-step process, but I'm breaking even the simple stuff into sub steps to just try to coax this horse along and ease him into all this because fundamentally he was incredibly green on top of that. He's got bad habits, especially when it comes to evading pressure And if I go to jerk on him or be really aggressive, lose my temper or up the intensity too much, he's just going to mentally check out and he's probably going to be rattled enough that he's going to rear up, flip over backwards, and we're both in trouble at that point. So I really had to baby this horse along throughout the clinic. But the key point was, all that resistance and bad habits aside, because this horse was so green, When he finally was able to grasp the concept lesson of the exercises that I was teaching with enough repetition over the course of the clinic, he actually came around really well and made, I would say, a thousand percent improvement from day one to day three. But it was a painful, slow, repetitive process to get there, okay? So someone watching that that doesn't really understand the context of the situation might've said, wow, you know, he really took his time with that horse. He tried to, anytime that horse was throwing up a a ton of resistance, threatening to rear, even kind of semi rearing a little bit as, as I'm going to bend the horse around or yield its hindquarters or whatever, you know, he doesn't get aggressive, but he just kind of stays with the horse until the horse relaxes and finds it. And just being very methodical, right? Very forgiving in a way. And with enough repetition, that horse came around. So Someone that has no idea what I do or only saw me on that horse might have gotten an impression that with all horses, I'm this easy going guy that just takes it as slow and steady as need be to just ease the horse into it. Right. But the problem is that's just one snapshot in time and, and one contextual situation where that, that was appropriate as a rider. I, my big goal in that entire process was teach things in little bite sized pieces. And the big word of all three days was de-escalation, right? In any suppling or, or disengage the hindquarters, any of those exercises that I can do, even going back to flexing, if this horse is wanting to take things to the level of trying to rear, what can I do to just get him to come back to me and accept the basics of the exercise, not even do it well, but just accept the situation. And and for example, when we went to teach backing, which this horse was completely foreign to yielding the hindquarters to break his feet loose and then trying to redirect that momentum into the backup. If he gets stuck or confused, starts getting resistant rather than sitting there fighting him, increasing the amount of draw I have on the reins, putting him in a tighter and tighter bind, right? Rather than doing that, just redirecting it again, going back into my yield, re-breaking those feet loose getting some energy back in his feet and then trying again, being real methodical with that de-escalation. That is a stark contrast, though, to the way that I'll ride a horse that does have a concept, does understand the exercises, and is just in a habit of chumping the rider. This horse at the clinic was just fundamentally uneducated. He had some bad habits, and he had learned how to kind of evade situations and evade pressure but it stemmed from a lot of fear and just unfamiliarity with, with being put in any kind of a bind and just a lack of understanding. Like this horse really hadn't learned the concept of anything I was teaching him. It was all new. Contrast that with say, one of the horses you've had in training, Luke, that does have a fundamental understanding of flexing, bending, and even more advanced exercises like two tracking, for example. He understands what's going on He's just consistently throwing up roadblocks in your way and saying, nope, this is all I'm capable of. I'm only going to give you 25% effort. You and I both know I'm capable of doing this way better, but I would rather just take the easy road.
0: Well, fundamentally, it comes down to being a thinking horseman and just kind of feeling out the situation because you see one particular horse like that one at the clinic. And let's say you're watching that clinic and you see that and you're like, okay, you know, a baby step through the program, and so I'm going to go home and do that with my horse. Well, if you have something exact, like a carbon copy of that horse at the clinic or something relatively close to it, yeah, that'll work just fine. But in the situation like this horse you brought up here in training, where this horse has an idea, a more than a basic idea of, you know, it's fairly broke, more than a basic idea of the program. And while it's not like a broke, broke horse, it's had several months of riding, right? And it had several months of riding before it came here. So in the situation you brought up with the horse here in training, that horse was just being pee-hearted, not wanting to try, wanting to kind of wilt away from pressure, um, not put in the effort, um, or try to just kind of avoid it, you know, look to uh, rather than soften, just try to find ways around the pressure, ways, you know, getting up over over the bridle or trying to kind of hang there like we talk about in no man's land. If you're collecting them up vertically or taking them into a turnaround and, and trying to, say, run their hip around and just plant their front end and be really lazy in different areas, like just just be pee, pee-hearted in every exercise, not really try And just rather than, and we talked about this with Tangle, rather than actually softening, trying to uh, actually escape the pressure or evade it out of not fear, but just pee-hearted and laziness, all right? So it's a completely polar opposite game plan for this particular horse versus the one at the clinic, all right? The one one at the clinic, because he's so good and it's such an ingrained habit, like, He's used to that. Someone touches my face, I flip out, they leave me alone, this is how we operate, this is how we do business, all right? If you go in there and rah, 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 let's get it done and you go after this thing, it's just going to flip out, it's going to flip over, you're going to get hurt, something crazy is going to happen because you're literally walking up to this horse and it's operated this way every day of its life and then you just come in and just punch it right in the face. It's going to be an absolute meltdown nightmare. You know, it's like uh, this horse is like George Washington writing letters with a quill pen. And then you set down a a new MacBook Pro in front of him and say, all right, instead of sending that letter off to Hamilton, I want you to send him an email. Like he'd have zero idea how to even turn the damn thing on. He would just look at it with this blank look on his face. It would completely overwhelm him, right? So you you have to basically meet him where he's at and then say, all right, this is my end goal. This is what I want to do with you. But I got to meet you where you're at right now. And then baby step you to where I need you to go. I need to, to you know, find, I need to come over to your terms, come onto your turf, work with you, we can be friends. I need to show you a new way of operating. But I, and basically what you're doing coming into the situation is fundamentally reprogramming him, his whole, whole thought pattern since the time that he got started under saddle right? So you can't just walk in and say, all right, my program now, and immediately change everything. You have to come in to where he's at in his program, which, you know, I mean, you could say, you could call it a program, and you have to say, okay, this is where we're at, so what's the closest I can get to a step towards my program, okay? And literally, your step is slide your hand down the rain and just wait. Wait till he stops flipping out and just accepts it, right? And from there, you say, OK, perfect. Now we've got a starting point and we can slowly, slowly build from there. And what you're doing is not only are you teaching him how to handle that pressure and start to soften, that would be the surface level, what's going on. But really what you're doing is you're fundamentally changing his thought pattern and how he, his whole mindset around pressure and submitting to you as the rider. You're fundamentally revamping his whole mentality while on the surface looking like you're teaching him to flex instead you're actually working on just the whole mental game of training this horse and saying okay I need now we're going to completely rewire this to the point of I pull you give I need you to look to me for the answers I need to th- I need you to start thinking your way out of a problem rather than just throwing your head up throwing you know throwing your hands up and saying screw this I'm out and having a little temper tantrum right now contrast that with this horse that you brought up here in training that is being really pee hearted that are that knows well and truly what's expected of him but just doesn't want to give you what he is potentially able to give like he his his potential is so much but he only really wants to let you know that he can give so much right so in that situation Meeting him where he's at and coddling him and stepping him along isn't going to work because it's not going to motivate him to continue to try. He's committed to, well, I'm only going to give you so much. And so trying to then baby step him along, that requires him to be like, ah, okay, I can start winning this game. I can do that. I can do this. And it requires him to continually want to give you more and more and more. And as a general rule, most horses will always... They'll put in the effort to step themselves up so much, but you reach a point and this isn't just one point. You'll reach this point at different times, but in the beginning, when you're first starting a horse or like this horse at the clinic, that's a really a clean slate. As far as an actual good program, they will try for you and make leaps and bounds of improvement with you doing very little right? That's just the nature of the animal. They they have a lot of try, especially in the very beginning. You're teaching them something new. They soak it up like a sponge. They get to a point though, where they get complacent and they're done trying and you have to step them up manually. You as the trainer, and that's what, you know, that's what separates the, the Andrea Fapanes and the Sean Flair. Like they're able to figure out how to, how to get the most out of this horse that it, it has to offer. It doesn't think it's capable of it or doesn't want to do it regardless, whatever it is, And they're able to kind of give them that extra little oomph of motivation to take them up to that next level. Once you push through that resistance, all of a sudden the horse is like, aha, I can try this hard. And then they step up for you and then they begin to elevate themselves without you really having to do that much as the trainer. And you just constantly... You progress, then you plateau, and the horse is like, ah, I don't know if I can go any farther or I'm done trying. And then the the trainer, you have to say, okay, you are tapped out potential-wise, and this is where we're at, perfect. Or you have to say, no, you've got more in the tank, you just don't know it. And then you got to step the horse up, push him through that little ceiling, and then the horse realizes, okay, here I'm at, and then they'll start to take off again. Well, this particular horse, being just pee-hearted and not really wanting to try, The answer to this horse, rather than baby stepping him, because again, like I said, he won't step himself up at this point. He's kind of maxed out as far as he's concerned. So the step with this horse is to turn up the heat. We had to up the pressure and really start taking it to him and being aggressive in order to get him to realize, okay, when I'm pee-hearted and I'm not trying, life gets a lot worse. What do I need to do to make the situation better? And after about three days where it wasn't really pretty, having to really get after this horse, ride him twice a day, pretty soon after that, after three days, he's like, okay, you know, life is pretty tough here. I need to start figuring out how to how to make this situation work so we can be friends again. And come out that fourth day, he was ready to learn. He was receptive. He was looking to try for me and find the answer when I'd put him in in a bind or soften him this way or that way. He was looking to be good, looking to play, play nice and be on board uh, with the program. And at that point, perfect. We can be friends now. The pressure's off. Go back to just normal riding um, and no harm, no foul. But I think a lot of people, and this is a great kind of dichotomy to talk about is a lot of people get fooled into one of two camps. You either get fooled into all the time. You're always nice. And the horse is always just kind of this, this victim of our feel and timing to where it would be perfect, but we just kind of bungle and get in the way and, and, pull too hard or pull too fast and scare it and whatever. And so we're always preventing the horse from reaching its potential. So the answer is to be softer and more gentle and more slow all the time. Or you've got the other side of the camp that's, well, you just never push them hard enough. And so you never get out of them what they need. So always be aggressive, always be jerking on their face, always be kicking on them, always take it to the max because you've got to, Get the most out of them, right? Neither one of those camps is the answer. Not if you're looking to get a truly broke horse that's both soft, supple, can do a lot of cool things, but at the same time is relaxed, quiet, lazy, you know, just wants to pack you around. You have, there has to be on a normal horse that doesn't have the baggage that either one of these had, on a normal horse. You're going to have to end up doing a little bit of both. It's like a little salt, a little pepper in kind of a way. Like if you're, you know, season your eggs, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper and it tastes perfect, right? Same thing here with the training. You have to have a little bit of the be nice, a little bit of the touchy-feely and cozy and meet you where you're at and, and uh, you know, walk you to brokenness. But at the same time, there has to be a lot of, there has to be an equal amount of, all right, you know, get your ass out of bed. Time to go to school. So, but in this particular case, like you know with this horse with Jake, it, we have to completely kind of change up the program. No horse, you can't have a cookie cutter program for any horse. This is no no exception. This one we have to say, all right, all salt, only all only salt right now. Only the touchy feely. Only the I'll meet you where you're at. I'll work with you. What can I do to have you work with me? Right, meet the horse where he's at and kind of capitulate to his needs in a way. Now, this other horse, the one that I was riding, it needs all the pepper right now. Only pepper for three days. Only the get your ass out of bed from now on. You know, you're up at this hour. You're brushing your teeth. You're going to bed at this hour. You better shower without me telling you to. You know, very strict, disciplinarian. You can do a lot better. We're having a come to Jesus type of a week here, right? Only that. Then, like with this horse that I'm riding, after three days, all of a sudden, you know, we see the light, right? He comes out, he wants to work with me, he wants to try, he wants to learn. He's receptive again. He's no, He's like, all right, this whole avoiding pressure, trying to be pee-hearted, not putting in any effort... That's not, that's for the birds. I want to come out here. We're a team. I want to work with you. What can I do to not get your attention and get in trouble? Right? Perfect. I'm, I can be your best friend now. Here we go. Let's, here's what I want you to do. Perfect. Excellent. We're done for the day. You know, great ride. Now your horse, Jake at the clinic, if it was to say, come to us in training, you'd literally do the exact same stuff you did at the clinic, but more thorough because you'd have more time. Now, in about, you know, four to six weeks, you would have fundamentally revamped this horse mentally. And then guess what? You may have to end up throwing in some pepper now, some aggressiveness. You can't just stay with one thing all the time. But for the situation, you have to you have to meet the situation with the proper solution. And that just comes to feel, timing, experience and just You know, realizing that okay, one is not just going to always work all the time. You have to say, okay, in this situation, what am I feeling here? You know, can if I add more pressure, am I going to provoke a fight that I can't win, or do I need to up the pressure right now because the horse is just kind of chumping me and fooling me, and I need to push through this resistance? It's a very, a very difficult concept to really articulate, and at the same time. It's a very kind of almost taboo subject in the industry, you know, to say, oh, we got to up the pressure on Fluffy because Fluffy's being pee-hearted. Oh, never. Not not Fluffy. You know, the the noble equine would never come out and not want to put in the effort. You know, it's always me that's getting in his way. Yes, for sure. There's definitely times where you're getting in the way and not getting the job done and preventing your horse from progressing. But there are absolutely situations all the time, very, very common, where Adding the pressure and taking it to the horse is what's necessary to get the job done. But at the same time, there are times where slowing things down, taking super small baby steps and being as nice as possible is the answer to the situation. So it's all a situational game and it's just a matter of reading the situation and being,
1: you know, it sounds cliche, but it's very true. Being a thinking horseman. But how do you become good at reading those situations and understanding what that horse needs? Unfortunately, that's just something you have to develop through experience. And it will it will be a lot of trial and error. Like th- there's a lot of times I can look back on horses that I've trained where I was way too forgiving, took things way too slow, didn't expect enough of my horses, and they were just routinely chumping me in every single way. And I wasn't calling it out or addressing it and just kind of babying things along when I needed to actually up the pressure and get something done for once. But there's other times that I can point back to where I was way too aggressive and went too overboard on a horse that was not ready and not prepared, and I rattled their cage way too much. I would say as a general rule, though, that most people fall on the side of the spectrum. Most horse owners and riders are on the side of being too, too passive too willing to accept their horse's disrespectful behavior too willing to accept a lack of performance and a a lack of fulfillment of what this horse is really capable of and they don't push things enough but what we want to have is a balance and some intelligence in how we approach these situations and and this is something that's come up before we've had we've had several people that we've worked with i don't think there's a horse trainer out there that could say that they've made everyone always happy 100% of the time. We've been approached by people that had a very wrong impression of our program. We've been approached by people that thought we were big softies, right? And that we are like Buck Braneman mixed with Mother Teresa or something when it comes to horses. And they see us working with a horse like the one you have in training, Luke and they see you really getting after it and are like, oh my goodness, what? uh, this is totally unexpected. And then we've got other people that have seen us in those moments and that's all they know and they think we're worse than Vlad the Impaler, okay? No, it's a snapshot in time and we're gauging what we're doing based on the context, right? So I think just to wrap this up, this is a very good example between these two horses of what's called for and when and just that entire context, because there's not enough discussion of that in the industry. It's usually very one-sided and very toast, and we need to establish some balance here. Let's get into a question that has often come up, though, on a completely different note, when it comes to full and weanling and yearling training, because we've had many owners, as I said previously, who come to us and say, When I got my baby, I was really very intent on doing all the imprinting. I followed all the DVDs. I've been doing all this groundwork and desensitizing, and I've done all these exercises, and my horse is very quiet and and very used to being around me, although oftentimes they'll start to notice little pissy or negative behaviors, kind of resentful behaviors in these young horses. The horses are getting frustrated, kind of bored with what's going on. This person doesn't have anything new to teach the horse, and they're kind of sitting there helpless, like, I can't ride this thing for another year. What can I do, right? And I thought it would be helpful to talk a, a little bit about our thoughts when it comes to full and, and weanling and yearling training and kind of what dose is appropriate, because you definitely want to have some handle on your young horses. But you you do want to keep some of your powder dry, so to speak, and, and keep a little bit in the tank for when you're actually going to start riding them. You don't want to overexpose and go into a state of boredom and frustration before this horse is even two years old.
0: Yeah, I think the, sim- the simple answer for, you know, my horse is only a yearling, now what do I do with it? The simple answer is nothing. Leave the poor thing alone. But... Getting back, let's start from the beginning, okay? And this is, again, this is our opinion on what to do, you know, with young horse all the way up to starting it under saddle. What seems to be the best route? And not only do we get a lot of questions in the, for, on this subject, but we also see a lot of horses that are basically handled from the moment they hit the ground. Got to get our hands on Precious uh, and, you know, rub it down, desensitize it to every every possible object it'll ever run into. And then we basically don't leave it alone from the time it hits the ground till now we start it like as a three-year-old or something. And it's never gets a day of peace. And so by the time it's a three-year-old, it's already swishy-tailed and doesn't want to move out. It's resentful. It's like a disrespectful dog that's all over the top of you, has no respect for human beings. And at the same time, it hates work. It absolutely hates its life, doesn't want anything to do with people because it's been poked in the eye and pestered for three, two, two, three years of its life and it's just fed up and done with it. So starting out when they're born, as far as imprinting, I think it can be a good thing. Imprinting for someone that doesn't know what they're doing and sees imprinting as just getting the full comfortable with petting. If that's your idea of imprinting, And you're not going to keep an eye on the little habits that can develop from that, little bad habits, namely kicking, pinning their ears, biting, stuff like that. Like little things that they'll throw in here and there. They're not aware of that. Then all they do is they create this little demon full. That grows up to be just this disrespectful, in your face, I don't give a crap about you, I don't care about you type of a, a horse. It just, you know, sees you and has no respect for you, hates that you're even around it, and it just has a sour attitude towards people in life in general. Okay. So you're better off if you don't know how to imprint a foal and you don't have someone there to show you the process, you're better off not doing it. Um, because you'll create more problems than good. Okay, if you want to imprint the full, there's a lot of people that do it the moment it hits the ground. It seems like for me, what I like to do, it seems best if you wait till it gets up, walks around, nurses, and then it's got a belly full of mama's milk, and then it's kind of sleepy. That's the best time to do it. You know, when it after it first gets up, walks around, nurses for the first time. Boom. Then if you want to imprint them, they're kind of sleepy. They've got their first belly full of milk. They're not really, you know, they're looking to kind of lay down and sleep anyways. They're not going to be, they're not going to struggle as much as if you get them right away when the horse is trying, the foal is trying to get up for the first time. So they're going to be struggling to do that while you're trying to, you know, rub a Walmart bag on its face, right? Waiting until you get that first nursing session out of the way. Um, and then get your imprinting done seems to be the best, at least for me, the, the easiest to deal with the most calm, the most relaxed. And then from there, as far as working them and doing groundwork with them first, like in the strings, just teaching them super basic stuff, yielding the hind quarters, yield the four quarters back up, um, keeping your sessions five to 10 minutes in length because their attention span and their energy level. Are So, so short, anything over 10 minutes, you're getting into dangerous territory, either getting the full board and they're going to start struggling more because they want to go to mama or just get away from you. Or you start, you know, even a simple thing is teaching the, the full to, uh, yield its hindquarters. They're going to be almost like little spastic reindeer at that stage. So just a simple thing like that, like just teaching them off steady pressure, just to step their, their hind end away from you, just like a half a step. There's going to be lots of of little mini struggles throughout. So the foal is going to get out of air very fast. They get themselves out of air very quickly. So anything over 10 minutes, you're getting into trouble of, of doing some physical damage to this foal because... Nothing inside of them is really developed, and it's all very delicate and tender. And so you over here ramming and jamming on this fold, trying to get it to do something as silly as just step away from some steady pressure. I mean, we've got years to teach that. It doesn't have to get done on this Tuesday afternoon, okay? So, anything over 10 minutes, you're getting into dangerous territory. If you want to do multiple sessions a day, little five to 10 minute sessions twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, that'd be great. Otherwise, just once a day is sufficient. But generally, what we do is 30 days to, say, six weeks of daily training, right? Starting out very basic and slowly progressing to the point where we're getting them to kind of follow us around and lead, etc. So after four to six weeks of working with them and kind of teaching them very basic stuff, mostly gener, you know, mostly revolving around moving off of pressure, four quarters, hindquarters, backing, leading, following you around, that sort of stuff. Very basic stuff. We're not doing any lunging or anything crazy like that. After that, it's they generally do best to turn them back out. And at that point, having six weeks in on them, four to six weeks into it. They're generally good enough to be kicked out in a bigger pasture with mama instead of like in a, in a run in close somewhere where you can kind of monitor the mare and baby. Um, and you kind of have to regulate turnout every day, like, you know, only like an hour or something like that just to make sure they get out. But at the same time, not too much to where they get into trouble or something like that. Right. So you, they've, they've moved beyond the regulatory stage and now you can kind of kick them out in the pasture. And at that point, Generally, we leave them out there till it's time to wean them at around month, month five, four, month four to five, somewhere in there. Once we're ready to wean them, then at that point, before we start it for about a a week to two weeks prior to me actually weaning them, then I'll begin basically pick up where we left off, right? With go back refresh the yield the hind quarters, yield the forequarters, the backing up, the leading, all that stuff. And if we did our job right and getting them really quiet around us, then it shouldn't be an absolute, you know, obviously they'll be fresh and full of beans for a few days, but they quickly come around and, and to where you left off the the first session, the first time around, the first six weeks. So for about two weeks to a week prior to being weaned, we'll come back and we'll start the review process. And then progress the groundwork. We'll get them weaned. Obviously for a few days after they're weaned, it's kind of chaotic and you don't get a whole lot done because they're so focused on where's mama that they're not really that interested in listening to you, but that quickly wears off and you can get something done. At this point now, when they're five to six months into this, I'm going to start actually working on things like lunging or sending them in, in and out of gates, circle driving, just Basically really stepping up the groundwork program, starting to introduce a lot more physically demanding exercises. So now you have to do it within the capabilities of the horse. So when I lunge them and throw in rollbacks and stuff like that, I'm not looking for them to hustle out of turns and and different things like that. We'll barely lope if, if the foal is kind of fresh and wants to run around, then we'll lope. Otherwise, I'm just staying at the walk and the jog. I'm not care I don't care about making the horse lope. It's not the proper time to worry about that. So never at that point am I focused on on actually loping the horse in any lunging or anything like that. You know, I'm just focused on following the feel of the halter, being soft, being responsive, stuff like that. Right. And at this point, you should have a very good grasp of not only just your General lunging, but things like picking up the horse's feet, flexing with the halter, all that stuff. The horse should just be very good, easy and quiet to deal with and just be around. That's your main goal at this point, is just make this foal a productive citizen. Get him quiet, get him good about being handled, but you do not need to really focus on making him an A plus at any exercise. Heck, a C plus to a B minus is perfect for a foal. We're not after perfection nothing that you do at the stage is going to have a huge impact on when he started anyways, it'll make life easier dealing with the horse, but that's it. But you're not out anything. If you, if you didn't do any of this, so don't try to make it perfection because again, they're only five months old, four or five months old. They don't have the, the attention span or really the capacity mentally to handle you going after it with a perfectionist mindset. Okay. Even here at the, at the four, to six month mark, I'm keeping my sessions under half an hour. 20 minutes to half an hour is just fine. Or I'm really, really watching their air. The more this horse struggles, the less time I'm going to do. And I'm going to look for, I'm going to look for smaller and smaller uh, steps of progression, you know? So if he's really struggling with a particular thing that day, I don't do much else. And I just look to kind of get a little win with this particular exercise show, show him where, what needs to happen and get it a little bit better. Come back to it again, no harm, no foul next day. And everything is just super small and just baby steps. All right. And at that point, I'll work with the horse again for another, I'd say about six weeks, six weeks to two months, Potentially, but I, I, I would say around six weeks is, is just fine. And, you know, some people have more time and they can put in the two months, you know, we're more of a, okay, we need to be efficient about this. Six weeks um, is usually generally plenty. And at that point, kick him out, leave him out in the pasture with his buddies, let him be a horse, let him grow up, let him be a horse. And you can come get him again in six, seven months time when it's, he's a yearling At that point, when he's a yearling, you can bring him back in for another, say, three to four weeks of a tune-up. And at that point, you can start actually making him canter and have more expectations with the things that you're doing, step it up a little bit, but nothing crazy, right? Same thing again, reviewing all the flexing, the feet work, lots of backing, lots of lunging, um, and just getting him to be a good citizen to deal with, right? Three to four weeks is plenty. At that point, as a yearling in three to four weeks, kick him back out. You can do, then do one of two things get him again at, at the six month mark, so he's a year and a half, or wait till he's a two year old. Generally, if we have time, we'll get him in for another two weeks at the six month mark, so a year and a half old. Refresh briefly things, and then next time we get them in, we're starting them as two year olds under saddle. All right. Now, if you have the time and the discipline, and the, the knowledge to go about this, this makes life easier. This makes handling the horses for the farrier to come out and trim them. This makes getting the horse out and all the preparation for the first saddling makes life easier because the horse already has a Great concept of everything leading up to it. So it's pretty easy to refresh the groundwork, get that saddle on and get going. All right. So makes life so much easier to do this. But if you don't have a great concept of it, great grasp of it, um, and you're debating, okay, I'm going to send this horse off for training anyways, to get started, what should I do with Fluffy? You're best off doing nothing with Fluffy because what we see a lot and one of the main reasons we're bringing this up in this podcast is you can very easily create problems by drilling on this horse or nagging this horse for the first two years of his life before he gets started. We've seen, I've seen it a lot, horses that have been poked and poked and poked and poked and poked. And, poked, and basically, by the time they get to a two-year-old, they've done pretty much every groundwork exercise you can do except for like going into Liberty. And the horse just hates life now. Every day has been going to school and doing calculus. And now all of a sudden we're adding more, more workload here. We're, we're basically reviewing the same groundwork to prepare him for the saddling. And now we're going to do more work with the now this new thing, the saddle on, and now this riding stuff. And he absolutely hates it. He's fed up with it. From the time he hit the ground, he was poked in the eye with exercises. And here we go, it's never ending. And so he's just fed up. He's burnt out with it because we spoiled him as a as a young horse, when his attention span, his, his capacity for learning just wasn't there. And so we over, overdid it. We burnt him out rather than waiting till he was a two-year-old. He's a lot more receptive to this stuff. He's more of a sponge for learning and he'll soak it up right away. So if you're not able to deliver on what this horse needs in the the process from full to a weanling to a yearling, then you're better off just to forego all of that and just take care of him as need be when he's first born, monitoring him for that first month or so when it's pretty crucial. And then from there, basically your main thing you're monitoring is just the amount of, you know, up until he's weaned, the amount of feed you're giving to that broodmare to make sure that, the full is isn't growing too rapidly or not growing fast enough just to make sure there's nothing developmentally going on, so you're more monitoring the feed situation than anything um but as far as the training wise, you're better off not doing anything than going into it and trying to do everything overdoing it, and then burning this horse out and souring them to people in general or turning him into this pushy, disrespectful pet that has no respect for humans. And then it goes off somewhere to train. And, you know, the trainer has to basically turn into this super aggressive barbarian just to get this horse to wake up and realize, oh, I'm supposed to respect humans now because from the moment they hit the ground, they were being taught every day that humans are just a a post I can rub on. Right. So if you're able to, or you have access to good direction. It's an absolutely great thing to do as far as imprinting horses and working with them. But even when we're doing it, we're giving them what? A ton of time to be a horse, to just be turned loose with their buddies or with their mom and just be a horse, right? And this example, this time frame that we laid out, what are we doing? Like a month to six weeks as a full, another month to six weeks as a weanling. And then as a yearling, three to four, as a year and a half, maybe two weeks total. And then the rest of the time of those two years, he's just completely off on his own, just being a horse other than say us pulling him in to have his feet done or something like that. Otherwise he's out there just to be a horse, be left alone and just enjoy life right? So when we bring him in as a two-year-old, he's not overly stressed mentally. He's not overwhelmed. We didn't burn him out or fry him mentally as a young horse to where he's a sponge. He's ready to go. He's he's easy to deal with. He's good to work with, productive citizen, but at the same time, he's a sponge ready to learn. Whereas the opposite of that is just suffocating the horse with kisses and hugs and, and Walmart bags. And then you get him out as a two-year-old and they just absolutely hate everything. They're already swishing their tail and pinning their ears, and there's no going back from that. The horse is ruined at that point. You know, you yes, you can make them a good riding horse, but you're always going to have to deal with them swishing their tail and pinning their ears, and just everything you do, they make known that they hate your guts. Right? It's not worth that. Let's set these horses up for success. So if you're not if you're not confident in your ability to get that job done, because you know we have a that's a mon- monumentous task. What you do now as a foal, is going to affect this horse for the next, say, 20 years, right? So we've got a lot of responsibility here. So as far as what to do with the horses, if you're to a point where you're like, well, what can I do now? Then your answer is most likely nothing. Leave the poor thing alone. Let it just be a horse until it's time to saddle it. We don't need to get the saddle on when it's a yearling. Let's wait. Let's get the worry about the saddle when it's time to actually start this horse and begin riding it. When it's receptive it's matured mentally and we're ready to now it's receptive to learning and it's and it's looking forward to
1: coming out every day and doing its job well i hope you guys enjoyed the discussion on today's project horse podcast and as mentioned earlier i want to thank our sponsor for this episode drinking post waterers as a horse owner you already understand the importance of making clean fresh water accessible to your horses 24 7 whether you live in a hot or a cold climate. But sometimes getting them the water they need can be a serious headache. So my question to you is, do you dread managing your animal's water? Are you carrying buckets every day? Or if you have waters already, are you constantly breaking ice, paying high electric bills to keep them heated, constantly scrubbing algae, replacing heat tape? If any of those things have hit a nerve, I encourage you to go to www.drinkingpost.com projecthorse. That's drinkingpost.com projecthorse. To register to win a frost-free automatic waterer and say goodbye to the constant headache of watering, Drinking Post delivers fresh, clean water on demand year-round. So visit drinkingpost.com/projecthorse to register to win a free waterer. And while you're on the site, you can learn more about their products and how they can help you turn a dreaded chore into more quality time spent with your animals. Well, once again, I really appreciate you guys listening to the Project Horse podcast. I hope you got value out of this episode. Now that I'm back from my two-week excursion on the road, I've got some more extras, content in the queue. Obviously, we're going to be cranking out main podcasts, and we're gearing up for a few clinics. We've got our three-day horsemanship clinic coming up right at the beginning of April, so less than a month away. There's still a few spots. If you're in Nebraska and you have time, uh, as rainy as it's been here, if you want to go to an indoor arena and spend three days working on your horsemanship, kick the rust off of these horses, and get geared up for a full summer of riding, That's going to be the perfect clinic for you. Obviously, we've got the advanced clinic coming up in Texas in May as well. Some more developments on the company and the academy front. So a lot of things are in motion right now. It's been a blessing to have you guys listening to the podcast and supporting us. We can't thank you enough. And as always, if you have questions, feel free to find us on Facebook. I'd seen a couple comments from some of our listeners wondering how they can better get in touch or leave comments on the podcast and if you go to Facebook just type in Lundahl performance in the search bar if you don't follow our page already and we'll be posting the links to this episode so feel free to comment below and even private message the page and let us know if we have if you've got any ideas for topics that we ought to be covering or if you have questions on anything that we said in the episode or if you have praise or criticism of us either way we want to hear it so thank you guys once again for listening Hope you have a good day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Project Horse Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating to help more horsemen like you find our content. You can also check out the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. There, you can message us with any questions or training
0: topics you want covered on the show. You can also learn about our training program, clinics, lessons, and the consulting we do for horse owners across the United States and abroad. Thanks again for listening.